welcome to Keep the Bastards Honest, the podcast of the Australian Democrats. I'm your host, Alana Mitchell, and on this episode, we're back. My apologies for the longer than anticipated radio silence. I spent August moving house and then dealing with all the unexpected chaos that that brings. So our podcasting schedule took a hit. But I'm hoping to bombard you with a bunch of content over the next few weeks as we count down to the referendum on the voice to Parliament. It shouldn't come as any surprise to our regular listeners that the official position of the Australian Democrats is to support the voice to Parliament. Part of the policy platform we took to the 2022 federal election on standing with First Nations people was wholehearted support for the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Since the Albanese government has chosen to implement the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full, starting with a voice to Parliament enshrined in the Constitution, our National Executive officially endorsed support for this back in April 2023. This position has not been unanimous. We've had members resign from the party over our support for The Voice, which has been disappointing, but probably not too surprising if you've been watching the increasingly ugly public debate over The Voice unfold. It's led to reflection and consideration among other members, including my fellow National Vice President, Dr. Graham Elder. Graham wrote an incredibly thoughtful piece on The Voice, in part to organise his own thoughts on the issue and in doing so has embraced the one thing that is sorely missing from the current public discussion, and that is nuance. Graham very kindly agreed to read his piece for the podcast because I felt it deserved a much wider audience than just within the party. As always, the purpose of this podcast is to provide commentary and engage with the political discourse, and in that vein, these are Graham's thoughts and Graham's contribution to what is becoming a distressingly heated debate. If you'd like to explore the Democrats' official position on The Voice and our policy platform on standing with First Nations people, I've put some links in the show notes. Graham and I pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the lands upon which we recorded this episode, the Noongar and Darug peoples, and their elders, past and present. Sovereignty never ceded. A year ago, I knew that a positive vote for The Voice was clearly the only ethical and, for that matter, rational response to progressive Aboriginal disempowerment over the last 250 years. A way to reconcile the nation and a way to show Australians and the world that we were acknowledging our history and were prepared to move on as one people. And yes, there's an element of reckoning with collective national guilt for the effects of colonisation on this country's first people. But responding to guilt with an affirmative act could help towards resolution. Since then, and particularly more recently, I've seen close friends, including Australian Democrat voters, change from a similar position to questioning affirmation of the referendum. These people are not stupid, and they're not, in my view, racist. They're not anxious that the voice will subjugate the rule of law or be a parallel government. They understand that the parliament has the final say over suggestions put to it, and to the executive by The Voice, and they are prepared to trust that The Voice will represent First Nations people in rural, remote and urban settings. They have heard the argument that Aboriginal men are more likely to go to jail than to university, and they recognise that social disparity increases the risk of infant mortality, premature death, poor educational outcomes, family violence and the gap. So, what is influencing rational people 
to question voting yes. It is rational to question how the voice will function and whether it can substantially improve outcomes for First Nations people. Although such questioning also feeds into arguments to vote no unless details of the voice are finalised. A counter-argument is that the composition and functioning of the voice can be changed, if necessary, as governments change. So the form the voice takes will represent the political aspirations and values of the time and reflect the people's vote at the ballot box. The voice will be able to make representations about programs and services, but will not manage money, deliver services, or have any veto power. This is seen by some opponents as a flaw and justification for voting no on the basis, and this basis was highlighted by Lydia Thorpe a month ago at the National Press Club. Her message was that the voice is not a way forward because Aboriginal people do not subscribe to colonial invasion and genocide, and a powerless voice will not improve their lot. Her demands for sovereignty include self-governance, our own laws, economic independence, our own destiny, and the right to veto anything, to have the final say to protect country and to ensure a future for all people of these lands. But other forms of sovereignty have also been expressed. An alternate view is to advise government in ways that build cultural strength and reclaim control over things that matter in daily life. And this sovereignty might coexist with the sovereignty of the Australian federal government. These views on the sovereignty agenda need discussion. They certainly divert attention from the voice, and they are not directly related to the referendum question. One can reasonably argue that recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the Constitution and enabling the voice will not impede the sovereignty discussion, but should facilitate it. Sovereignty, however that looks, will be a protracted discussion. It's not the question currently being asked. A further opposing argument is that a yes vote suggests all Aboriginal people are disadvantaged and require special help, which constitutes condescension, stereotyping and racism. This coexists with the argument that social disadvantage rather than Indigenous status is the real determinant of poor outcomes for education, health, family welfare and engagement with the penal system. There is undoubtedly truth in this argument because, like most things in life, complex questions rarely have a 100% correct response. Throughout society, Social disadvantage is a fundamental determinant of health and educational outcomes. Overuse of alcohol, cigarette consumption, and use of many recreational drugs is correlated with social disadvantage. So why might the voice improve those outcomes? The answer is that improvements, if they occur, will be faltering, but that listening to the experience of Indigenous people and to the solutions that they suggest can only assist, not harm, the chance of better outcomes. So maybe there is some light at the end of this tunnel. To distill my thoughts, we can vote yes and proceed with a longer discussion about forms of treaty and sovereignty. We can vote yes and implement the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and the Bringing Them Home report. We can vote yes and tell truths about Australia's colonial history. We can vote yes and still have all states and territories commit to Indigenous voices in their parliaments. We can also vote yes knowing that the voice will not solve all issues relating to Indigenous health, education and social disparity.
Governments have been trying to achieve those goals for the general Australian community for many lifetimes with varying success and have often fallen when expectations of quick improvements fail. So maybe that's one great advantage of a voice. Despite having no direct political power, it can have longer-term vision. Perhaps by advising on the needs of Indigenous peoples, we can learn social lessons that inform and improve responses to disadvantage more generally in our communities. Maybe, as after the marriage equality debate, if the yes vote passes, we'll realise that listening to, conversing with, and learning from the voice of disadvantage, whatever its colour or race, is not a threat, but a gift. For me, the waters of this debate have been muddied for some months now, but spending some time writing this has helped to distill the essence of my personal journey. I will respect those people who vote no, whether they be Democrats, Liberals or Nationals, Labor or Green. Some will vote against the referendum for reasons I would never endorse, but others will be voting thoughtfully and with integrity. And the vote may well be lost, so if that's the case, we will need to pick up and move on together. Whether to a simpler referendum for recognition, for voices in all state and territory parliaments, or a bill for a more fragile voice, to the federal parliament that lets us see how the voice might function if it were constitutionally recognised. If this referendum is lost, then I will acknowledge that many opposing voters are no more stupid, confused or racist than me. A person who has tried to be informed by listening to debates and podcasts, by reading the findings of the 2016 to 2017 Referendum Council Regional Dialogues, and the Uluru State from the Heart, and who has tried to balance these important issues despite some shrill voices on both sides. But for now, I will try to keep it simple, pure, quiet. This is a small step, a non-threatening step, a step that does not interfere with other discussions, and a step that over time may bring us closer. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Graham. Keep the Bastards Honest is brought to you by the Australian Democrats. This episode was edited and produced by me, Alana Mitchell. If you'd like to keep in touch, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, Spoutable and Threads by searching for Australian Democrats and you can see what we stand for, what we value and what our policy positions are at our website at Democrats. .org.au. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>